Boag World is produced by headscape.co.uk. It is supported by Shopify.com, a designer-friendly e-commerce solution. For information on Shopify, go to shopify.com forward slash Boagworld. On this week's show, Paul talks about the conflict surrounding design decisions and Tefion challenges a BBC article that asks, are the days of the web amateur numbered? Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Hello, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul and Marcus. Hello and welcome to the first ever BoagWorld.com podcast. Boag World. Hello and welcome to the 170th episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for those involved in designing, developing, I'm bored. I'm not doing it today. I'm rebelling. I refuse to do the introduction. I've said it 170 times and that's enough. You probably said it quite a lot more than 170 times. Well, no, because I don't think I said it right at the beginning. Didn't you? No. I don't know, actually. I need to listen to it. There's a trivia question for you. Here is When did Paul first say? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to come up with something new for next week. I don't believe you. No, I probably won't. I'm too lazy. Really. No, you have to now. You've said it. So there. Huh. Huh. Yeah, like you're going to come up with new music. On the 200th episode, I said I would. People are still complaining about your music. And rightly so. I don't care. Well, no, I do care. We're Why? How are they complaining? Oh, I don't care. I don't really pay attention. You can't attention. say something like that and then, well, actually, no, they're not. Well, no, that's because I can't think of something quick See, enough. because actually they're not, are they? Yes, they are. No. Well, I had a complaint about the widest... It's it's too loud when the screaming comes in. Okay. Yes, uh, that was the one. Uh, and also, why does Paul say "Welcome to the first episode" every week? And it's when like, it's well, not, I, I can't even bother to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> we are such a pathetic pair of grumpy old men today. Both I of us really have got, am. Yes. Both of us have got stiff necks, and so we look like yes. Clive Andersons. Yes, We're I both, can't move my neck. I, I just. Know. All of my body. Driving is not fun. No, it's really painful. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it's just coincidence we've both got stiff necks. It's not Mine's like, a sporting injury. Mine is a sleeping injury. <laughs> <laughs> well, golf. Can golf be classed as a sport legitimately? Uh, yeah, I think so. It takes, mm. it takes immense skill anyway. Yeah. You don't sweat so much. So it depends. If you, if you def- Some people define sport as something you have to sweat at whilst doing. Right. But it is very skillful. Well, not, not that I'm particularly skill- skillful. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that are skillful. Yeah, snooker. Yeah, darts. brain surgery. Well, it's not a sport, though, is it? I know. Well, who says? It's, it involves well, skill. You, you don't win, do you? There's no competition <laughs> in there. <laughs> and yes, he's the first one to do it. Made a bit of a mess of that last corner, but he's the winner. No, that's a fair comment. So it's got to be competitive and involve skill. Yeah, and, po- and poss- possibly sweat as and well. Possibly that's, that's, sweat. The, that's the one where you could say, well, golf isn't. But then if you look at all the Tiger What about Woods video world, games then? That yeah. involves skill and, uh, and competition. competition. Oh, yeah, I guess. Depends so the type of sport. So I am sporty. In fact, I'm very sporty on that basis. Hurrah! Oh, all these years. I mean, people call darts and snooker sport. 
some people do, some people don't. Mm. Anyway, it's, it's got nothing to do with web design. Kind of fuzzy line, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It is very fuzzy and really not relevant. And none of our listeners it hurts, care. Though. Oh, stop whinging! Do you see me whinging? No. Yes, all the bloody time. <laughs> Maybe not about your neck, but about most things. Most things I whinge about. I'm a I'm an inherent whinger. Shall we move on to the news and actually talk about something web design related? I don't feel like we've talked anywhere near enough about completely pointless things. Yeah, well, Surely I'm, there must I'm, be other pointless I'm, things. You no, know, I'm talk just about. trying to be more efficient for 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 our listeners' sake. Anyway, you could We're talk. We're going on a plane tomorrow. Shut That's up. Nice. No, you could talk. Last week it was like, right, need to get this done. Need to get a proposal out, and you rushed the whole thing. I think well, you ruined a perfectly good show, and this week's show cool. is a really good one. We got some good content. Cool. I thought Although, last week's show was quite good. It, well, I it think was, it was saving it along quickly made it better. It was saved by the interview. Let's put it like that. Oh, it was a good harsh. interview with Mark Bolton. Harsh. <laughs> Ow. Oh, shut up. <laughs> so, can we move on to the news, please? I can't think of anything trivial to talk about. So, yes. Okay. So, not long ago, I read a book. Really? I know. What, from the start to the finish? I know, and it had words in and everything. <laughs> um, no pictures? In fact, actually, Did I think... Did it have I, some pictures? I, I'm, I'm now beginning to think that I might have listened to it as an audio book. Yeah, that sounds about right. Sounds more like me, doesn't it? We've had this conversation before. <laughs> yes. It still counts. Um, <laughs> um, it's the book Outliers by Mal- Malcolm Gladwell, um, which includes many stories about how well-known individuals came to have their big break. And there is something quite fascinating about people's backgrounds and the opportunities and experiences that kind of shape their career. Mm. And I'm often surprised that people's success is more to do with circumstances than it actually is talent. Total luck, usually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even your, I'm guessing your little pop star career. Could I say that any more patronizingly? So jealous, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) With, With more luck than judgment or skill. Uh, a bit of both. Yeah, okay. it always is a bit, but yeah, of course it is. It's about um, it's about taking the opportunities that present themselves, yeah, and it's to do with meeting the right people at the right time. Yes, it's about people. Connections is pretty much it, unless yeah. you are an absolute genius. Absolute genius does tend to tend to shine through. Yeah, but not in a. If you're using a music analogy, it's, the absolute geniuses tend not to be at the top of the charts, but they're just so brilliant. People want to buy their stuff or yeah. want to play anyway. But they're not necessarily super famous. No. Because it was interesting, in Outliers, there was one guy that was, I mean, his IQ is off the scale. Mm. See, and not from a, you know, oh, it's off the scale, man. It really was off the scale. They couldn't measure it. Um, and he's by, by far more intelligent than anybody else on the planet. But he's a cantankerous sod. Mm. Um, and as a result, he's not... Nobody wants to work with no. him. No, yeah. and he's just, he, li- he lives quite a mundane <clears> life, really, um, even though he's this complete genius. So it's, it's interesting. It's a really good book. I highly recommend it to people. The reason I bring it up is our very own Ryan Taylor, who produces this show and, and arranges all our interviews and stuff, shares my fascination with this and has started a new video series where he's basically interviewing um, different industry figures about their background and how they came to do what they do. And he started his series by interviewing me. Apparently, according to him, he wanted to practice on somebody before he talked to important people. Yeah, he's going to be interviewing me later. Is he really? Is he going to do you too? Oh, I'd be quite interested in that. That would yeah, be quite well, interesting. But the, the, my concern with it is whether he just wants sort of general blurb, which obviously I'm good at, 
Uh, and I've got quite because I'm old. I've got lots to talk about. Yeah. But whether he just wants web related stuff? No, it, no. He's, I yeah. think he's interested in everything. Good. Because it's because people go quite a rambling path to end up in web because web I hasn't did. been around that long. Blimey, yes. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, if you're of a certain age, then you couldn't have gone straight into web because web didn't exist. It's not like it was a career choice I could have picked as a child. Oh, this kind of slightly related. My daughter, uh, one of her friends is a he's basically a freelance designer while he's at university. Yeah. Um, saw her last night and said, "Your dad's famous." Uh, <laughs> and, and she came back and relayed this to me. And said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I'm thinking, you know, the band and that kind yeah. of thing. And it wasn't that. It, it was, was a do, podcast. Do the podcast. There we go. What was his name? Should we give him a shout out? Uh, <laughs> Tom Bainan. There we go. Thank you, Tom, for for bigging up Marcus in front of his teenage daughter. <laughs> yeah. Who was probably singularly unimpressed, I'm guessing. Of course, yes. It just made you seem really geeky and slightly sad. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but thanks anyway, Tom. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, so Ryan's doing this new series of interviews. So he's done me, um, and he's also done Drew uh, McLean. McClellan. Uh, what did I you just say? You never get it right, do you? McClellan. McClellan. I, I go into a panic. We know. As does Drew. Giggles every time you say, and yes, and Drew. Ah! Drew. <laughs> never use his surname. Anyway, carry on. Now you've humiliated me publicly. Again. Can we edit this bit out? No. What do you mean, it, no? It's, um, it's, uh, it's my retaliation for your earlier... For what? I can't remember, but you did have a go at me. So, yeah, it just gets whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> All I can remember is you taking the piss, but it wasn't... It wasn't... Oh, but I don't know what it was about. Anyway, yes. Um, so, anyway, he's done Drew. Yes. And you can watch that one. He's also interviewing Mel Kirk as well. Um, so he's got a few lined up, basically. And you, apparently. And me, yeah. He'll, he'll interview anyone, won't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so check those out. It, it, I think it's a series that's got a lot of potential. And the web is still a very young medium. And so a few people trained as a web designer. And so it's fascinating to see how people came to the industry. Um, I think there's also a lot to be learned for those starting out in their career as well. So be look, be sure to pop along to Ryan's site and subscribe to his RSS feed. I really wish you'd produce it as a proper video podcast so I could subscribe in iTunes, but I think he's working on that. Mm. So good. Okay, so next up um, is a, a post about card sorting, um, which I think is a very relevant subject because... Creating a, a site's information architecture is one of the most challenging jobs that most website owners will encounter. Um, and you really kind of face two major obstacles with it. First is that your your kind of inherent organizational bias. When you've been in an institution or organization for a long time, you become institutionalized. Um, and so it can be hard for you to look at things with an outside perspective. What seems logical to you can make no sense to the end user. And the second area is internal politics. Information architecture um, is often an area of great contention, let's put it like that. It is. Um, and with different parts of the organization vying for kind of top level billing. So this can lead to IA by committee, which can never be a good thing and, and uh, prevents a user centric approach. So card sorting is one way to overcome these challenges. Um, it's basically a, a way of organizing the information in, in, um, for your site around user needs rather than around company structure, a, a more objective way, if you like. 
Um, so it works at, uh, works by putting users in control of creating the structure by asking them to sort cards um, containing content in a meaningful way. I think we've talked about this before. I'm sure we must have talked about it before on the show. I'm not sure we've talked about my opinion of it lately. Go on. I, I think it's highly overrated and I don't recommend it to our clients anymore. Why not? Because I've done um, quite a few card sorting sessions and I think the main flaw in it is that people you test don't really care. Yeah. And anywhere near as much as the actual internal stakeholders Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, expert web users like the agency that's doing it. Right. And as long as you consult with stakeholders about the issues that they face and what uh, and what the important content is and what what the pri- priorities of the site should be mm-hmm. i think you can put together a a, a far better um, thought out information architecture than you can via card sorting because i think it's a bit too random and i think people just put things in oh well that must go with that and that goes with that there isn't enough thought goes into it so i think that information architecture should be tested, but once it's in the form, format of a website rather okay. than in a bunch of cards. I think card sorting is is way, way overrated. Hmm. I must admit, it's been a long time since I've done a card sorting exercise. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think what you've described may be true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's squirm. Um, <laughs> when you're working with an external agency... But if you're developing your information architecture in-house within a company, I still maintain you need some kind of outside perspective. And if you haven't got yeah, an agency to, people, to work talk with... Talk to people, ask them, asking them questions that are helping you answer the difficult questions related to your information architecture is better than just giving them a bunch of cards with some titles on, mm. in my view. Okay. I don't know what I think about that. You've thrown me. Mm, well, I've done lots of it. I'll be interested to see what listeners think. Post uh, post your comments on that in the show notes at baragworld.com forward slash podcast forward slash 170. That's my way of avoiding <laughs> making a decision about what I think. We'll just say, what do you think? I don't know. You've thrown me now totally. So anyway, it's somewhat irrelevant then that site post have, have posted an article of running your first card sorting session because we no longer think it's a good thing to do. But if you want to know what's in the I'm article, not, I, then I'm look not at the saying show it's completely worthless. I just think it's overrated. Okay, so there we go. I won't. I won't dwell on that any longer. Marcus has ruined the news. <laughs> you <laughs> must have more. I have got more news. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on from that one. Um, you can check out. Obviously, if you're interested in the card sort, and you can check out all of that in the show notes. So Google Analytics, I want to talk about next. Jumping oh, I like around Google a little Analytics. bit. You, you approve of that? Yes. Do you? I've I've watched with fascination as Google Analytics has slowly decimated the the web uh, website statistics sector. It used to be that there used to be lots of different software that provided website statistics, and then Google kind of ploughed into the field. With, Google is going to take over the world and then charge us for everything they do. I begin to feel that that might be the way things happen. Um, it is slightly concerning. I mean, when they launched Google Analytics, it was a relatively simple product, a product aimed at small websites and blogs, you know, and obviously as a result, it was free. But over time, it's become increasingly more powerful and useful. And even the most kind of stats hungry power user can kind of get all they need from it. 
Um, enterprise products are beginning to struggle to compete against a product that has got as much functionality, if not more, and is free in as well. Mm. Um, however, with increased power came increased, not responsibility, as Spider-Man would say. But, sorry, that really <laughs> makes me sound so sad. Do you not know that line? Yes, I did know yes. that line. That's I would good. never quote it. And you'd never admit to no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, with increased power comes mm. increased complexity um so what started out as a simple product has become increasingly harder to master and although jeff veen did an amazing job when he was at google at simplifying the interface it's still hard to harness its full power and the result is that many fail to use it to its full potential while others are just in too too intimidated by it to even try um this is unfortunate because google analytics offers amazing um opportunities to really understand your users um, and it paints a picture of how your users truly interact with your site and informs you about your site structure and content and that kind of thing. Maybe that's a good way of looking at how you should be amending your site structure. Yeah, if it's um, yeah based on an existing site. Yes, that's true. Fortunately, there is now the complete Google Analytics Power User Guide. Ooh, that's a snappy title, Useful, which uh, equips website owners with all they need to know to squeeze the full potential out of this incredibly powerful tool. It's basically a series of posts that include detailed information on every aspect of the program from set it, setting it up to tracking goals and funnels and stuff like that. Best of all, the various posts have been brought together in a 45 page PDF document, which is a lot more accessible if you want to read it offline like when you're sitting around for blooming hours because Marcus booked plane flights at stupid times tomorrow. No choice. And mm. as you well know. So if you're interested in Google Analytics um, or in what it can do for your site, then it's extremely worthwhile downloading this. <sighs> Got any more news? Yes. Sorry, I was just mulling on sitting in airports for hours tomorrow. That's okay. But I'm not bitter. It's fine. <laughs> right. Um, finally, I want to look at what I think is one of the toughest parts of being a web designer, at least if you're a freelancer or running your own business, which is establishing the price of projects. I'm sure you will have stuff to say on this subject, Marcus. What in the news? Surely that we haven't got enough time to cover such a complex subject as this. Because it is by <laughs> far the most difficult thing that anybody in the whole universe could ever do. Absolutely. Yes. That sort of like finger in the airiness of it. <laughs> <laughs> Pluck a figure out of your backside, that kind of thing. I'm just so being flippant. There are so many variables. Um, you, you know, there's so many ways you could approach a project. There are so many things that could go wrong. Nobody likes estimating a job. And rarely any of us get it spot on. It's a minefield of pain. It can be. So on one hand, you need of to... self-doubt. That's what it is. It's minefield of self-doubt. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's good. Um, on one hand, you need to add contingency for the unseen. But on the other, if you add too much, you become uncompetitive. So, there is a new Smashing Magazine post entitled Effective Strategy um, to Estimate Time for Your Design Projects. <laughs> it's, not even, title. it's not even good English, <laughs> no. um, which endeavours to address these issues. 
Um, it began by looking at what causes a project to be misquoted. And reasons include unknown technology, grey areas in the specification provided, bespoke development in unfamiliar areas, the cost of sale being too high, lack of time to quote properly, too high a desire to win the work, no previous track time tracking to refer back to. Estimating time for a project is not fun and nobody wants to spend time doing it, etc., 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 so um, it then goes on to address each of these issues with a particular emphasis on the granular planning um, and the need to track time. I've got mixed feelings about this post. I know you haven't read it. Mm. Um, it provides an excellent structure for creating quotes and even provides a list of common tasks that you can quote against. All good stuff, especially if you're starting out. Yeah. However, I feel it's a little labor-intensive at points. This kind of whole thing with granular planning and you've got to you know kind of break it down into every you know minute little task that goes on i'm exaggerating for effect but i don't know seems a bit heavy-handed unless it's a really big project you're working on i kind of mm. i can understand it more at our kind of level and this kind of projects we work on but if i was a freelancer working on a relatively small project it feels a bit overkill i don't know yeah but even with us the only time that i get um uh, particularly sort of fretty about um making sure the estimation is right is new development work and then i think our developers who've been on this show uh craig and dave they do tend to pull apart the tasks to a very granular level right uh, which is good yeah i for, guess so for, but we've done i've been quoting design um and design and sort of consultancy related work for so long now I kind of it's feel almost like, second nature. Yeah, that's not a problem. It's always the tech stuff that I have to kind of yeah. get those guys involved in on. Because sometimes they go, oh, yeah, oh yeah, that'll take me ten minutes. Yeah, and then something that I think is going to take them ten minutes, it's like, well, that's months. Yeah. So you never know. No. Well, we, what? Anyway. we we have madly been on the show the last couple of weeks, have we? No, we've just not done it. We'll rectify that next week. We'll have somebody new on the show, or well, actually, probably Dave. But anyway, yeah. we'll have somebody <laughs> yeah. on the show next week. Um, anyway, before I move on from the news, if you live in the UK, I want you to mark down the 22nd of June in your calendars. We'll wait. Okay. on the 22nd of June? Ah, it's the date the tickets for Deconstruct go on sale. Okay. Um, and I said that I'd give them a little plug. Um, and it, uh, mainly because it's such a popular um, uh, conference that if you don't mark down the 22nd of June, you won't get tickets because they sell out so ridiculously fast. We're going to be there, aren't we? We're going you to do me. more interviews. We are going to be doing some more interviews, but we're also going to arrange a meet-up over lunch. You didn't know this. Oh, good, because you know that I can't stop for the evening. No, this I is, didn't know that. This is all kind of... Yes, I'm going on holiday the next day. Ah, okay. And very early start. So. Right, ah. Oh, well, we're going to do a meet-up over lunch. That's so that's great. an extra incentive for people to come. Because we did say to Andy... That in Andy, itself is worth When we came to, came to Brighton next time, we'd take him out. And I'm like thinking, I can't do it. Well, he won't do it that day anyway. He'll be too busy. He'll be too busy. Yeah. He will be. Right. So that's the news. That's all I wanted to say, news-wise. Smash him. Should we move on to a feature? So I've got to confess, I'm a little bit excited about this week's feature. Just just a little bit. I'm a little bit starstruck. Oh, blimey. I don't know. I haven't seen the notes or anything. I've got no idea what's no. coming. I'm, I'm expecting to be hugely underwhelmed. Well, no, I don't think anybody else will be excited. It's just me personally. But... Because, I mean, I've been, I've been involved in web design, I don't know, since 94 or whatever. And one of the first web design um, 
sites that I became aware of was SitePoint, yes. SitePoint.com. Back in 99, I think I started reading it, which I think was when they started. But anyway, so I'm, you know, I was a bit kind of star-trapped by them and a bit in awe of them. But this week's feature has been published on SitePoint, so I'm really Ooh, excited about Paul's it. Paul's proper famous. I feel, I, I, you know, it's silly, I've done loads of other stuff, but I like SitePoint for some reason. Anyway, so um, that's nothing to do with what I'm going to be talking about. is clients versus designers, the ultimate showdown. Right. WFF style. <laughs> with a big steel chair I hate maybe I wish a ladder I, could, I wish I could unsubscribe for Sky Sports 3 because it's all it ever has on it is wrestling and it's just instant flick straight onto 4 or extra mm. or whatever 4 is well, anyway there sorry there's, there's an aside personally I don't subscribe to any Sky Sports England, unless England it had video last. games on which we've now established is a sport so that's good mm. well, they pro- need more video games sport is on at the moment cricket and is that England went out last You don't time. get sweat in big cricket either. Oh, yes, you Just do. walk around you wanna, a bit. You want to try it. <laughs> anyway, shall we talk about clients versus designers? Big tangent. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, everybody knows establishing the look and feel of your site can be a point of contention. Web designers um, become frustrated because, they're, uh, because their expertise is not respected and clients become annoyed because the designer doesn't listen to them. It's just, what is it? A world of, what was it you said earlier? I can't self doubt. Oh, that was it. Yes, well no. done, Paul. I can't remember anything <laughs> in the past. It's just this. Lo- I don't think forward is, looking. I actually don't think this is a world of self doubt. I do think this is a world of pain. It's a whole new different area. Quite. Um, the confrontation inevitably leads to a loggerhead, doesn't it? And on one hand, there are designers with years of design experience, and on the other, clients who know their audience and their business objectives. Sooner or later, somebody has to blink. Either the client ends up with a design that he's unhappy with um, and fails to meet his objectives, or the web designer gives in and produces what he considers second rate design. Um, the problem is that it turns into a confrontation, the first to blink. Um, and that fails to recognise that design should be a collaborative process. So fortunately, it doesn't need to be like this. And at Headscape, we endeavour to work in a partnership with our clients. This partnership allows us to explain the design decisions that we're making, as well as um, for the client to bet, or for us rather, to better understand the business and user objectives. The relationship is about collaboration and not confrontation. However, for this relationship to work, the designer needs to be uh, to include the client in the development of the design. And unfortunately, many designers find this difficult. They don't like to show unfinished work. I've seen too many hours wasted by designers who want to get the design just right before showing it to the client, only to have it rejected as inappropriate for whatever reason. So instead, we use a design methodology with our clients that includes every step of the um, includes them every step of the way. And this provides a number of benefits. The client is educated about the principles of good design. The design benefits from the expertise the client brings about the business and the audience. The client does not reject the final design because they've contributed to its creation and not surprised by its result. So let's talk about this methodology. That's really what I want to get at. There are kind of seven key steps that we use. And we don't necessarily use them all on every project. Um, but we certainly find that the more steps we include, the better the relationship works. So let's look at each of these steps in turn. First off, the kickoff meeting. 
We find that having a face-to-face meeting at the beginning of a design project is a crucial step to establishing the designer-client relationship. It's an opportunity to really understand the requirements, including things like business objectives, success criteria, design objectives, target audience, and site personas. Um, However, it's also an opportunity to establish the parameters of the relationship between the client and designer. Many designers and uh, many designer client relationships fail because the client micromanages the design and reduces the designer to a pixel pusher. The client is not necessarily at fault because the designer has failed to communicate the type of feedback he or she requires. And we talked about this before. This is the whole principle of um, the client not coming back with comments such as I hate the black and red, change it to pink. But instead, encouraging them to come back with the underlying issue, such as I'm not sure our preteen girl demographic will respond well to the aggressively male color palette. I'm sure we've talked about this on the show before. Yes. Um, Basically, what you're after is the underlying reason. Anyway, let's move on from that and look at stakeholder interviews. Um, Although kickoff meetings are valuable in understanding the business and educating the client, they're not always enough, especially when you're working with a larger organization. The people at the kickoff meeting don't always understand every aspect of the business and often don't have the authority to sign off the design by themselves. And this can present a problem uh, because the designer can work uh, closely with them only to have the design rejected by some other stakeholder within the organization. The way to get round this is a process of meeting individually with the stakeholders. In these meetings, the designer talks with anyone who's got vested interest in the site, encouraging them to share um, their frustrations and desires for the site. Stakeholders feel included in the process and the designer gains a valuable understanding um, about the business that they won't necessarily get from the kickoff. Number three is... Yeah. Stop you there. Yeah, sure. A good way, um, if you're... If you want to kind of, oh, I can hear the birds tweeting. I know it's, it's nice. Lovely. Um, to kind of, you can amalgamate one and two there. You can make your kickoff meeting a sort of project, a, a stakeholder yeah. workshop where you make sure that you get all of the relevant stakeholders around one table. Yeah, people can dominate in that situation, but it's better than kind of just sitting down with one or two with people. one or two people from the web team. Yeah, so get them involved at that stage as well. Yeah, I would suggest. Next up, I want to talk about inspirational sites. Once the designer has been fully briefed through the kickoff and stakeholder meetings, it's time to start suggesting a design approach. Um, For many projects, this involves launching Photoshop and going to a blank screen um, and then following that through to the final design. However, this is a considerable investment of design time uh, before a consensus for the direction of the site has been reached. Some designers ask the clients what kind of sites they like in order to better understand their preferences. However, although this has some merit, it's flawed uh, for two reasons. First, the client is not always the best equipped to identify examples of good design. They tend to pick sites um, uh, based on their cons- uh, on their content rather than their aesthetics. Second, the question focuses too much on the personal taste ra- um, rather than Uh, the design itself and whether the design will meet the business objectives. So instead, um, I recommend that designers select half a dozen existing websites um, that they feel has got elements that are appropriate to the project. The designer then presents these to the client explaining why those sites have been selected. uh, This will stimulate a discussion about the different approaches that design could take and give the client something relevant to respond to. 
Many designers already keep a repository of inspirational designs. However, if you don't, I can highly recommend Patrick Haney's Flickr feed or alternatively Design Meltdown. They're both good sites and both included in the Site Point article, which you can get to from the show notes. Um, next one I wanted to mention is mood boards. So out of the discussions um, around inspirational sites, you should end up with two or three possible directions the design could go in. One option is now to mock up these different directions to finish designs. The problem with doing this is you often end up with a Frankenstein design because the client attempts to combine elements of each design that he quite likes. Unfortunately, this uh, approach is basically never successful and can be time consuming. So instead, the designer could create um, a series of mood boards representing each different design approach. These mood boards um, shouldn't be too similar to a final design, but rather reflect elements, things like typography, color, imagery, screen elements, you know, things like navigation bar, etc. Now, mood boards have several advantages. They're quick and easy to produce. They focus on the aesthetics rather than the content, because often clients can get hung up on the content that you put in a mock-up. Um, they're flexible enough to accommodation, uh, accommodate some kind of combination of different approaches. In other words, using the imagery from one mood board and typo- uh, typography from another. Mm. Because mood boards are relatively straightforward to develop, it's also possible to do several rounds of iterations if required. After mood boards, we do start to look at things like hierarchy and layout and content and that kind of stuff. And that's where wireframes can come in. Um, Many are intimidated by wireframing because there is this perception that it's time consuming and expensive to produce. Most of us think of uh, wireframes as effectively an HTML prototype of the entire site. However, although such detailed wireframes can be useful, they are not required for design sign-off. In our experience, simple hand-drawn sketches of key pages is sufficient for the client to understand how a design will look. Um, And in fact, I've actually seen situations where a client has been confused um, because the wireframe has looked too finished and they've mistaken it for the final design and therefore have been reluctant to sign it off. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually found that keeping wireframes hand-drawn is is better all round. It's less of an investment as well. Um, You're more likely to change a a hand-drawn sketch than anything that's more finished. And also it kind of, encourages discussion between the designer and the client and because it's got a low barrier to entry it means that even the client can start scribbling things down and drawing up stuff and that kind of thing exactly um so um that said hand-drawn sketches can become somewhat confusing after multiple iterations so normally once we've done a load of sketches and we're pretty much sure where we are the designer will produce a more finished set that can be used for design testing and that kind of stuff which brings me on to design testing actually um we talked about design testing uh, before on the show. Um, it, the great advantage of design testing is it removes some of the subject, subjectivity from the process um, and resolves any lingering differences that may exist between the client and designer. Um, both parties are too close to the project, basically, and you need a third-party opinion. And who better for that than you know, using users, basically? Um, but design testing needs to be kept lightweight to ensure that it actually happens. So we do two simple tests. We do a flash test where the user is shown a wireframe for five seconds, asked to recall what screen elements he saw, and the number and order of those items recalled gives a good indication of whether the information hierarchy is correct on the page. So we do that, but we also do emotional tests. The user is shown the mood boards and asked to associate the feeling of those mood boards with any number of opposing words. Is a design conservative or progressive, personal, formal, etc., etc. We talked about all this before. 
And then basically after that, you get down to the the final design process, um, which is based on the background information that you've collected on the business. It's based on the mood boards, the inspirational sites, and it's based on the wireframes, which have dictated the layout and information hierarchy. Um, However, more importantly, the client by this stage has a clear understanding of the design process and the elements which have gone into informing the final design. And what's great by doing this process is that the client will receive no nasty surprises when the final design is presented. They feel like they're part of the process. Absolutely. Um, Of course, that doesn't mean that the designer will not have to explain his design decisions. The client won't necessarily make the connection with the previous work done. So you need to refer back to your mood boards and your briefing information and wireframes and all the rest. Um, But does it mean that the designer will get the design perfect first time? Probably not. Um, most design requires some level of iteration and refinement. However, it should be considerably less than would traditionally be the case. Mm. So I'm, first re- I'm, I'm worried that on first hearing this, people might be thinking that this process sounds a little bit time-consuming and expensive. Um, and without a doubt, there is a lot more work involved before a design is ever produced. However, I think in the long run, it's a real time saver. Endless iterations can seriously dele- delay an otherwise well-managed project. What's more... Unlike wireframing, mood boarding, meetings, um, and the uh, all of that kind of stuff, endless iteration cannot be priced Quite. and can't be planned. So you don't know how long it's going to take. There's no way to predict how long it's going to take the designer to produce a design that the client's going to approve. By using this process, it's you can schedule this kind of stuff and you've got a much better idea of how long things are going to take. I think the best thing that comes out of this is the involvement of the client, which gives the client a nice warm feeling. Whereas if they're most clients, apart from particularly difficult people, if you present them with a design that they don't like at all, or is completely inappropriate would be a better way of putting it. Yeah. Then they'll try and find something that they do like with it. Yeah. Uh, And they'll try and find something positive to come back to you with, but actually because it was uninformed, it's wrong yeah. and, and should be in the bin. Uh, and this, it, it's just a recipe for bad feeling all the way around. It's going to take a long time. The, the, the agency gets hacked off because they keep being asked to do more work, which they didn't price, um, yeah. and, but they keep producing the wrong stuff. So that's why doing this kind of groundwork is a good thing because it makes your clients happy. Mm. So check out the, check out the site point article. Um, I go, you know, I cover all this in, in a bit more depth um, than I've done here and, and hopefully it's useful to you. Okay, so that wraps up our feature. Let's move on to listener feedback. Okay, so we've gone from clients versus designers to amateurs versus professionals. This is a bit of a versus episode, isn't it? Yes. Um, so there was an article on the BBC website not long ago entitled, Is the Web Amateur Hour Over? And Tevian Jordan um, sent in a really insightful review um, and and kind of response to that article. So I want to play that for you now and uh, let's see if you agree with what he said. I will be reviewing an article from the BBC website, link in the show notes. As you can see, I've advanced from spamming questions to Paul and moved on to simply sending him my views on things. Given time, I hope to replace Marcus as co-host of the show. 
The article is titled, Is the Web's Amateur Hour Over? A provocative title for those that blog, contribute to open source, have a Flickr account with photos licensed under the, under the Creative Commons, and so on and so forth. The article opens describing somebody that revels in the name Antichrist of Silicon Valley. Anybody that revels in the name such as that is either crazy or doing it for attention and the page views that it brings them. It sums up the rest of the description pretty accurately, so I won't need to go into it. The article then goes on to explain how this Antichrist person dislikes things such as Wikipedia because they're maintained by people working for free, how seasoned professionals are being put out of work by amateurs on YouTube. At this point, the article moves on to showing that all the big tech bloggers, these so-called amateurs, are actually seasoned journalists themselves. The crux of the article is, of course, amateur versus professional. Does the fact that anybody can start a blog mean that anybody is a journalist? Does having a Flickr account make you a photographer? Yes and no. Technically, yes, but in reality, most people will never gain enough of an audience to become influential or make money from it. Professionals are paid, and generally for a good reason. A professional blogger has experience and good writing ability. An amateur probably won't. But we've still not come to the actual issue. I'll say it again. Amateur versus professional. Yes, that's it. It's the second word in. Versus. The sensationalist man described at the start of the article seems to feel that there is a competition on between the, those that work for free and those that work for money. More importantly, he feels that those that work for free are making it harder for those that work for money to find work. But that's really not true, is it? If it were true, then wouldn't we all be using Linux because it's free? Wouldn't OpenOffice be the de facto standard of Office software? Why would Apple even bother making the iPhone if Google is just going to make Android? Why does Paul bother to make websites when anybody could just do it for themselves? There are, I think, three main reasons. Quality, trust, and support. OpenOffice is a nice piece of software, but it's not got the features of Microsoft Office. It's not as high a quality product. Linux is really, really well supported if you know where to look and how to ask. For most people, however, they'd much rather just get a normal computer, which they already know how to use, and can phone tech support for. To them, it is better supported. And trust... If you pay Paul huge, huge sums of money to make a website for you, then you trust that he will probably do a good job, that he may actually know what he's doing. So, no, I don't think it's amateurs versus professionals. I think it's amateurs and professionals. One does not exclude the other. Instead, one will spur on the other and often generate healthy competition. Think about how much IE6 stagnated because nobody was competing with it anymore. Now that people are competing with them on the browsers, Microsoft is starting to get their act together somewhat. Next, the work of an amateur can be used to help a professional. PHP is a free product, but countless people, including myself, make money writing websites in it. Throughout this review, I have maintained the position that on average, a paid-for product or service will be of higher quality. This is true on average. It will be better, but not always. There's a reason that if I had a second computer, it'd be booting Linux and not Vista. There's a reason I develop websites in PHP rather than C Sharp. It's because the free option is better 
or the paid option is not good enough to warrant the cost, in my opinion. Note my opinion. Different people will have different opinions. Lastly, I want to come to why. We've all seen them. The blogs that must have about three readers, one of whom is the mum of the author. I know this because... Well, I write one. My my blog has about three readers, and one of them I'm pretty sure is my mum. Why do people post up bad photos on Flickr? Why do I spend a lot of time running an online game from which I make no money? It's because everybody has a hobby or two, and this is the way they pursue it. There's nothing wrong with this, and should in fact be encouraged. What may now be a bad set of photos on Flickr account could, in a few months, with encouragement and tips be a very good set of high-quality photos. What may, for now, be just a, a programming hobby or project could, in a few years, turn into a very, very good language. Paul started up this podcast because he thought it'd be fun and may or may not have been high from using the computer for too long. It's come a long way since then, with thousands of listeners and an entire community built around it. Thus, I want to end with the idea that, while something may be amateur now it can become professional in time, and that this is a good thing and should be encouraged. Thank you very much for listening. Okay, so I just really, really good response. Amen, amen, amen. It's, <laughs> it's not all to do with amateur versus professional. We reject the premise of the question, as Mr. Keith said on our live South by Southwest episode. So thank you very much for that. Um, I think that about wraps up this today's show, really. Have you got a joke for us? Um, I sort of found some... I, I think these these are fairly old, but they, I just read a few of them and they made me giggle a bit again. So I suspect these are things you've heard before. Error messages in haiku form. Or haiku, how do you pronounce that? I don't know. Uh, three things are certain, death, taxes and lost data. Which Guess which has occurred? That's an er- error message. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like that. Yeah. Um, Everything is gone. Your life's work has been destroyed. Squeeze trigger. Yes slash no. <laughs> I quite like that one. Um, uh, printer not ready. Could be a fatal error. Error. Have a pen handy. Um, <laughs> da, da, a file that big. It might be very useful, but now it's gone. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've read these years ago. I think these are from sort of late 90s. Um, uh, da, da, da. The site has been moved. We tell you where, but then we'd have to, to delete you. <laughs> I quite liked. Um, I might use some of these on the Yeah, Exactly, yeah, they're just great error messages. Um, da, 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 da. With, with searching comes loss and the presence of absence. My novel, not found. <laughs> I like the squeeze trigger one the yeah, best, yeah, I think. I think so. Uh, da, da, da. Yesterday, final one. Yesterday it worked, today it's not working. Windows is like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, for some reason, I'm feeling that there's something different in next week's show, but I can't remember what. Um, it's got a, two ones in it. Is that what it is? I doubt it. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's just that I've had to plan it in advance because we're so busy this week. Who, who's on the interview next week, Bob? Oh, shit. Now you put me on the spot. Ah, yes, it's Rob, Robin Christofferson. Ah, yes. We're talking about accessibility. accessibility. So that'll be interesting. That's why it's different, because we're not doing the interview. It's a Paul and Ryan interview. That's right. So that's good. In fact, we're not doing very much in next week's show, because we're not doing the interview. And then um, we're going to get Dave on, who's going to talk about our experiences of migrating to Google Apps. Yes, So I'm not completely with yet. 
but that's me. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> yeah, you bless, you get confused, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> oh, this new technology, fangled stuff. Yeah, because Google, Google Apps is very beta, isn't it? It's only been around five minutes. Uh, it's just synchronising. <sighs> so there we go. Um, I think that about sums up today's show. <laughs> about sums up. I don't Hopeless. know. I'm to- <laughs> I've lost it now. You completely thrown me and ruined the entire show. But thank you for listening anyway, and hopefully that's all Hello, world of Boaz. It's like being on David Letterman. Boag world, Boag world.